We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land throughout Australia on which we are recording. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to The Doyen Interviews, the podcast that speaks to inspiring women from the art, architecture and design world. I'm Bridget Nathan and I'm glad you've tuned in. Thank you also to Anon for the beautiful introductory music. In this next episode, we chat to Fiona Dunnan from FMD Architects, a practice she founded in 2006. Fiona is a leading Melbourne architect as well as an experienced interior designer. It was great to spend some time with her and to find out a little bit more about her design thinking, as well as how these two disciplines can overlap and intersect to create interesting design responses. So, welcome Fiona. How are you going at the moment? Oh, good. Yeah, I'm great actually. Thanks for having me. I'm enjoying isolation. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's definitely been an interesting time. Would you say you're more of an introvert or um, an extrovert? And uh, how has it been with the team and everything that you've been working on? Oh, no, I'm very much happy to be alone. So um, it's been interesting and it's been, we've learned a lot about. sort of new ways of working remotely and, um, you know, like everyone, I think we can see opportunities there to continue to work remotely and give people a bit more flexibility um, in working from home. So it's been good. And how big is your team? Uh, There's six at the moment. Um, So four of us full-time and a couple of part-time people as well. And, uh, yeah, so it's a nice size and it's been sort of consistently that size probably for the last uh, five or ten years. Oh, awesome. So it would be great to hear a bit about your background and what you have worked on throughout your career. Yeah, well, I started, I studied um, interior design first at RMIT. Uh, and then I worked at a company called Guy Design originally, which is sort of a large corporate firm and I worked in the retail section there uh, and befriended a lovely lady, Jane Mackay, and uh, she she um, then went to head up interiors at Daryl Jackson and I followed her there, so setting up Daryl Jackson Interiors um, and worked for Daryl for six or seven years and loved it. Um, he was such an amazing architect to work for and then... Um, and then I studied architecture, so he sort of um, really inspired me to study architecture so that I just felt like I wasn't, didn't get access to enough of the, of the building, I suppose. So I went back to study architecture to, to try and sort of um, take on more of the building. Um, and then I kept working for him um, after I graduated, which was fantastic and gave me some great opportunities. And I worked there, a lot of the work I did there was in healthcare. Um, so hospitals, which was, yeah, really interesting. But I've always had a passion for residential work and small work. So I then um, had the opportunity to work for John Mortal and uh, that was really fantastic. So then he was a very small office back then. It was probably six or seven people. And uh, I took on the role of the interior designer um, or interior architect and so moved around most projects, really working on the interiors. Um and then he grew very quickly. So within 12 months, he'd grown from oh, six people to 
20-odd people. So it was this massive transformation from a small practice to a large practice. What sort of a year was that in? That was, uh, that would have been 2000, 2001. Um, And so he grew very quickly and all all of a sudden we'd gone from working on little houses to high-rises. So that was a really interesting um, place to be and see how how an office can grow um, quickly and successfully. So, so that was really great. So then I got to work on not only the houses but all the all the sort of high rises, things like QV and Dock Five and um, Fifty Lonsdale Street, which is an urban workshop. Um, so my large scale experience certainly came in handy there. So understanding how these big teams work. Uh, so I think that was good for John as well. But I was obsessed with the houses and kind of demanded that I keep working on them. And, and, sort of, and then he gave me the opportunity to actually sort of pro, um, be project architect on some of the houses, which um, helped me keep learning as an architect and not just keep doing the interior. So I've kind of always done both. And John is always um, obsessed with the interiors and, and really small details as well. So it was a great um, it was a great place to work. It was right up my alley. But yeah, and then I started my practice in 2006 after I had um, my daughter and um, been working for John part-time after that and then um, some opportunities came up to work on a house down in Lawn and um, a couple of other small projects and I thought, oh, this is probably the time I was ready to start making decisions for myself and I could just, you know, feel like, I needed to try it out and uh, it was amazing. Everyone was really supportive, including John and people like um, Julian and Simon and Tim from BKK at the time really um, supported me and gave, you know, gave me projects, which was amazing. I didn't sort of expect other architects to be supporting me Um, and so that was fantastic. So we, I kind of, grew quite quickly from a little small little home office at home to um, moved into a, a shared studio pretty quickly and started, you know, working full time. Wow, sounds like you've had some amazing experience. Can you pinpoint any particular influences on your own design outlook? I think there's a lot of different influences and it's interesting. I've sort of been giving some talks recently on my work and I've never really kind of looked at it um, in sequence before. <laughs> I just kind of do it. And then I can sort of see these things and, and these things that actually influence me are, are quite interesting. So each each project definitely has a story and we try and find the particularities and there'll be a moment or a conversation with the client that inspires me and will take me in a certain direction. And there'll be things like my, um, I suppose my education through high school, I I did not do art. My background was um, math, science and literature and languages. And I, yeah, and I was overseas and I, as you said, I've, I've been in Japan on a school exchange and then I've been, because I speak Japanese and French fluently and, well, I don't speak Japanese fluently anymore, but my French is still very fluent. Anyway, so I lived in France where I came back to do year 11, couldn't get into economics, which was what I wanted to do, and um, ended up, the only 
the only subjects that were available were art or design. I was like, oh, God, what do I do? So I ended up doing design and, and you went through all different realms of design. Um, and so, and I absolutely loved it and completely turned my world upside down and went, I'm going to do interior design. Anyway, so what I find in my work is I will be influenced by literature. So there may be a poem that influences a project or it may be um, some, an artwork that actually influences the project that starts influencing the story and, and how we generate the design. So, for instance, the His and Hers house, um, we've, we had these um, triangular skylights. We'd actually done another house, the cross-stitch for that client, and then they, they got married um, and so we took we took elements of the cross stitch house, but then um, joined them together and created this sort of um, what I call a Mobius tri- a triangulated Mobius skylight, which is actually it actually came from poem from Sir John Donne, which talked about two wedding rings joining and a Mobius strip. If um, if you actually cut it, and which is a sign, sign of infinity, um, creates two rings joining. So there's all this connection between mathematics and science and poetry and I'm really interested in that my father's a scientist and my mother taught fashion so I have these kind of two worlds that clash that intersect you know so they, they definitely both influence me I'm sort of I love the artistic but I'm also highly pragmatic and very sort of scientific and technical at the same time so Going through the work, it's interesting. I can see then there's another house like the Bustle House, which is all about Victorian portraiture and Victorian fashion and how the bustle is an expression of the woman and that was her only way of expressing herself really. She wasn't allowed to express herself verbally so much. So um, we actually took that idea and because that house had only been owned by two women in its entire history, my client and the former um, clients, so clients' family who, you know, so this lovely old lady, so we call the old house the old lady and our new extension was the bustle, which was an expression of my client. So there's all funny things and so every everyone is different but there will be um, definitely some sort of influence through literature or fashion or art that um, generates the design. Yeah, I guess definitely my impressions when I look at your work it does um speak of art and design culture what are your thoughts on the relationship between art and architecture do you think that they're the same thing or do you think that they're different yeah well I don't see I see that them intersecting I don't yeah I see them as two separate things although there are certainly architects that I think um cross the boundaries someone like um Michizawa, who did the Toshima Art Museum, for instance, his work definitely crosses over and it's like, is it architecture or is it art? You know, it's it's both. And I, I think, but that's that's very rare. So I do sort of see them as separate, but um, they definitely influence each other. And we've actually, in the last year, I've just been doing a series of interviews with different artists and gallerists and designers about that, that whole discussion and how their the architect influences them that they live in, or and anyway, it's very interesting. So that will be coming out soon too. So. <laughs> Amazing! I'll have to have a listen. 
Um, I'd be really interested to hear a little bit more about some of the other references on your work. So, um, for example, who you were looking at when you were a student or who you might be looking at overseas um, to inspire you as an established architect yourself. I'm really interested to hear about, yeah, who else you're looking at and who's been influential it's interesting. I um, when I was studying um, architecture, I was really drawn to um, uh, Queensland architects, and uh, it was Britt Anderson and Timothy Hill, who I think they, the Queensland architects had this really great um, sense of place and connection to the site, which really interested me and. Recently, just last year, I did a like a two week masterclass with um, with Brit and with uh, with Richard Laplastriere and Peter Stuchbury and Glenn Merkett, which was amazing. And so they've um, their connection to site was something that really inspires me. Um, and their yeah their, their rigor with their work and and exploring the site is something that's really interesting. But then there's other architects that are probably more um, maybe sort of more connected with art, such as well, John Wardle is one who continues to inspire. Um, and also people like March Studio I find really interesting because they do sort of cross over, I find, um, in their work. So um, it's sort of a real range of different people, but it is interesting the ones that inspired me like Britt Anderson from very early on, um, can, she was amazing to meet and spend time with and learn from, sort of 20-odd years later. So, yeah, that was really fantastic to see that I, I still adore her work. And what is it that really speaks to you um, from these bodies of work that you're talking about? It's very much sort of understanding place and spending time analyzing place and then responding to it and it's the complete opposite a lot of you know I think a lot of Melbourne Melbourne architecture culture is very form driven versus these guys are are not they are very um, responsive to the site and let that um, dictate the form in many ways and dictate the tectonics that they use so um I think that's interesting. So coming from a Melbourne, you know, we are more form-driven. I try not to be. <laughs> the forms are, we, we, are very strong. Um, but trying to sort of step away from that and, and go back and think about site and in really simple ways, again, was a great thing to do and just kind of think in a, a different way to um, how I've sort of been taught or mentored over the years was terrific. It's amazing to hear that someone um, at your level who's so established is still continually um, learning and taking on new courses and, yeah, developing your ways of thinking. Yeah, and, and it was funny because everyone was like, why are you doing that? <laughs> you don't need to do that. And I was like, well, I think you do. I think you need to step back and and put yourself in an uncomfortable position and, um you know, and put myself in, in a place where it's, you know, sitting down and drawing again, whereas, you know, we're so computer-based nowadays and, again, because I didn't have that sort of art background, I didn't really 
kind of learn to draw in an artistic way. I can draw technically, you know, very well, but, um, you know, so they were really teaching us, you know, to sit down and draw and, and not, not draw as in, you know, draw the site, but draw things that you see in the place, you know. And, that, and so it was really interesting. It was a completely different way of thinking and um, we spent days doing that before we'd even start thinking about what building we were going to place on this site. So it's really great and I highly recommend it to everyone and I think, yeah, you should keep doing it um, no matter how many experience you've got. I'd actually been trying to do this masterclass for about 10 years and it just never quite worked because it was two weeks, which is quite a lot of time when you're trying to run a business um, without, you know, and so no, no contact with the office during the day and, you know, it was very intense, sort of very long days. Um, you know, we were working day and night basically for two weeks and um, weekends we'd go to site visits and go to visit Glenn's houses, which is amazing, and Peter's Peter Stutchbury's houses and, and Richard Laplace's houses. And he was someone I didn't really kind of know a lot about really. Like I knew he was a great teacher and so on and so to see his houses and oh like Richard's houses so he was a new discovery for me which was fantastic and a fantastic man that um, film that's come out about him a couple of weeks ago just says it's everything about him he is pretty incredible so yeah and, and the same we were living at um, um, for for a week in uh, the Boyd's um, Centre that Glenn had designed in New South Wales and so we lived in one of Glenn's buildings for a week which was just beautiful and such a stunning building um, at Riversdale it's called and um, so which is where Arthur Boyd lived um, and and painted at this place as well so anyway that was really amazing and yeah people from all around the world came to this masterclass and yeah got to make made some very close friends actually so yeah it was really terrific. So when you talk about this idea of place, what were some of the exercises or activities that you did to generate um, ideas, like those sorts of ideas? It was very much, you know, they were like, go out, get some charcoal, go sit on the site and absorb. So everyone was different. So we did, you know, you take on, um, you know, assessing the winds and the sun and the water and, things like that but also just drawing um god we were just you know drawing leaves and doing rubbings and just trying to find our own perception of place you know everyone was different and it took like everyone was a little bit uncomfortable with it the first day or so but then by day three no one wanted to stop and actually start producing so we were just like, yeah, we just want to keep doing this and talk about the journey through the site and all this sort of stuff. So it was quite funny and um, no one no one really wanted to start drawing. It was too scary really. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was good. And was there one main project that you were working towards? Yeah, it was designing a gallery for, um, for, for to house Boyd's work that he'd produced on this site. So because he lived there for quite a long time and, um, a lot of his, so there's a lot of paintings that are produced from this site. So it was designing a gallery and um, oh, what else was on there? Some accommodation uh, for uh, guest teachers and the like and a little sort of shop and, and stuff like that. And literally 
because it was in a group as well, which I'm not used to working. I mean, I've got my staff, obviously, but working in a group with sort of four or five of you and all of us want to design the building is actually quite a challenge. Um, and so we, we literally, after two weeks, did not have a building until the day before presentation. So <laughs> we just we'd end up talking and talking and negotiating and negotiating, which was another learning experience in its own right. Like um, there was a couple of group, uh, there was one group that sort of fell apart and one guy went out on his own and did it and he, which was actually probably easier because then you can produce, you know, um, versus working in a group is actually very challenging, especially when you've had, you know, 20 years of doing it yourself. So it was like, yeah, I know exactly what I want to do, but then everyone else would be like, no, we don't want to do it that way. No, la, 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 la. <laughs> so it was like Thursday lunchtime. It's like, well, we've got to present 10 a.m. tomorrow morning, so uh, let's do a building now. And then we all just, just did it. It was really funny. That's um, really interesting. What about your own design process? It would be great to hear a bit about how you approach designing a building. Well, I usually start um, in plan and fairly pragmatically just trying to work out the where the, you know, the spaces go and the flow of the spaces and the, you know, orientation and winds and all of that sort of thing goes in first and it sort of goes in, in plan. And then we sort of make sure we get that sort of where we want it to be before I even think about what it's going to look like. That doesn't happen until a long time down the track. We're just It's really quite functional at the beginning and making sure the spaces, the envelope and the connection of the spaces is, is where we want it to be and then we start playing with it in 3D next. So it's, it's very much driven by function first. Um, and then I find that those functions then start informing the form. So, you know, things that look really sculptural or decorative in our buildings actually are all driven by maybe the town planning constraints, maybe the, um, you know, obviously the um, solar orientation and ventilation and the like. So it's, it's actually all driven by that. And I always tell the guys in the office too, it's like every piece we do has to have a reason for being. So there should be nothing frivolous really their interiors are a little bit different I think I then go a little bit nuts on the interiors but um, the exterior is really very much driven by that the, the views the light the ventilation the and then the, in the inner city sort of ones those urban constraints of setbacks and, and overlooking and so on so uh, that's kind of how we work so that it slowly gets sculpted by all those pragmatic requirements and with interiors, um, as you have such a strong background in both disciplines, how do you see the relationship between interior design and architecture? Oh, um, to me, it's an extension of the architecture, definitely. Um, and it can't be it, it can't be segregated. And I, that's where I get annoyed in you know larger practices where the interior design department is segregated from the architecture department. I think the two works so much better when they're together and can bounce off each other. Um, you've got a much more integrated sort of design then. So that's really important to me and that's what drove me to study architecture um, as well so that I could push for interior designers, I suppose, to have more influence. I, 
in the interiors. Um, so whereas, you know, some architects find interior designers unnecessary, um, I won't say who <laughs> said that to me recently, and I just thought, oh, no, that's terrible. It's just it, it can add so much um, depth and detail and allow the concepts that have developed in the architecture to carry through to the finest detail. That's what's important to me with interiors. Funny when I started FMD Architects, no one knew I was an architect because I'd worked for John and sort of ran the interior side of things. And they're like, you can't call yourself an architect. And I said, but I am an architect. And now people don't realise I'm an interior designer. So I have to, <laughs> everyone's like, oh, you're an architect. And I was like, no, I'm both. I do both. And I share, I, um, share my studio with a friend of mine who's an interior designer, Megan um, Hounslow, and she, I love having her in there and I love, you know, and some of my best friends are interior designers and I love bouncing things off them because they're just that research into the detail and the finish and, uh, you know, sometimes I can get some, you know, lots of new ideas from them as well. And I think that, you know, that's just that, they can bring that level of refinement and sophistication to an interior, you know, just by understanding the latest materials or fabrics or um, veneers, you know, all sorts of things um, that we may be too preoccupied with the structure to kind of um, think about that. So it's I have great respect. And even the, you know, furniture selections, that's a skill in itself, getting the right furniture for, for an interior. So... Yeah. Yeah, and also things like um, colour forecasting, um, which you don't necessarily learn when you're studying interior design, but, um, uh, you know, definitely a huge part of the design process. Um, what are you working on at the moment in your practice? Well, we've just, we've just finished a house, which is in the awards this year and getting a lot of interest um, called the CLT house. So, um, which, you know, is that I think that absolute marriage of architecture, engineering and interiors, um, they're completely integrated in that project. So cross laminated timber, which is like a mass timber construction, which, um, allows us to do great spans in the building and very super fast construction um, with a huge amount of planning behind it though. Um, and I, so I can see opportunities using more mass timber construction techniques um, in new design work and hopefully that will lead to some sort of larger projects. Um, continue working on the, the residential because that's my, I, my love um, but we're doing some interesting um, legal chambers at the moment, so some interiors work and possibly um, some health work as well, collaborating with some um, architects that I worked with back in the day at, at Daryl Jackson. So it's, it's all going around in circles, which I really love. So hopefully that comes off because I find health, health work really satisfying. We did some the surgeon's rooms a few years ago um, which was some orthopaedic surgeons' rooms, and that was a lot of fun. And um, you know, we got to sort of all the way to the World Architecture Festival with that. And um, yeah, that was great. So I'd love to do sort of more of, of that works as well. So pretty open. Like I sort of very rarely say no to a project, <laughs> how big or small it is, because as long as it's interesting and we can learn from it, we'll um, we'll take it on. So yeah, I don't have any clear direction. 
Yeah, sounds uh, really exciting. When you look back on your career, um, do you have any advice based on the different experiences you've had in architectural practices? I worked for people that work in very different ways. So, you know, working from Guy to Daryl to John were all so different. And each time I had to kind of let go of what I'd learnt from the last person and relearn. And I think that's really important. And even doing that masterclass last year, it's about um, letting go of everything and starting again and be open and um, don't be held down by your current sort of beliefs or techniques and allow yourself to be, um, to, to be open to learning constantly. Well, that sounds like a, um, a really great place to finish up. Thank you, Fiona, so much for your time. I've learned a lot in this um, hour or so with you and I really look forward to seeing what happens um, in the development of some of your projects. Great. Thanks. It was great talking to you, Bridget. Thanks, Fiona, for your time. Next week, we'll be chatting to Felicity Watson from the National Trust. I hope that you can join us then. The process of understanding history isn't just looking at what has been recorded, but it's also looking at what is missing or where the gaps are. So often, you know, there are missing perspectives or there are, um, you know, types of, of history that are less well understood and well recorded. And so I think that there's a need to always continually be going back to um uncover new perspectives and add to the historical record 